ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. William Yokley, thank you for coming back and talking with me about ATV talk or ATVs. <clears throat> I had such a fun time the last time you were on that all I could think of is when we were talking and you were talking about the, the KX250 and the 250Rs and, and you know, you rode the Z400 and I just had to get you back because I want to know. Before I forget, it, it's good to be back. It's always good to, to chat with you. And uh, I've enjoyed doing the interviews because, uh, you know, the, uh, life passes by really quick. And we're, it's, it's nice to kind of jump back into the swing of things and just to rehash some old stuff. And, and what, what's even nicer about it is, uh, uh, in one sense, it's like, well, I don't race anymore, but, you know, I don't have to worry about deadlines of being ready for a race. So we could talk about it all day long. And I don't get worked up and go, you know what, I – I got to get my shocks rebuilt. I, I, I'm now I'm getting nervous. So, but so I don't have that anymore. So we can talk all day long, you know? So back to my intro where I was talking about, you were fortunate enough to race 250Rs and KX 250s. And then you got to transition into the four strokes. Not many people um, raced for so long like that um when you got to ride the 250 or the two strokes did you transition uh, immediately or was it a was it a slow transition from the two strokes to the four strokes um you know it's funny i was just sitting here and uh you know when you mentioned that i thought man how many different machines did i ride and i just started making a a little, uh, I just started jotting down a, a list of, uh, all the things that I can remember racing, uh, throughout the years and, uh, which I won't go that far back, but, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we, we, uh, uh, I, I was thinking I actually started out on a four stroke and I'm a little Honda 70 with no shocks on it. That's actually my very first four wheeler, but I know that goes, that's, uh, 
that's to go way back before what we're talking about here, but I worked my way up through uh, the, the 250Rs was, I guess, the spent a lot of years on on that. I actually worked, raced a, black, a Yamaha Blaster for a year in the Mid-South, the, the cross-country of just the Mid-South is a, uh, a series here, you know, back in Tennessee, Kentucky, around that area. But and I went to the 250Rs, and see, I raced the 250Rs for probably – I'm trying to think six years, maybe something like that, six or seven. And then, uh, we went, i tell you what, I went in the desert. We, I switched over in the desert before anywhere. Uh, it seems like it was 1998 and, and the, and the best in the desert. And then Baja, Kim Coonley and I, we raced, uh, and in Mexico, Doug Roll was actually one of our partners. Uh, it was three of us in 98, we raced the, uh, the 400 EX, Yep, I got to take that back. Or the year before that, or so, we, uh, myself, a guy named Jan Pritchard and Bill Balance, and I don't know if nobody's probably ever heard of Bill Balance. He's kind of a nobody, <laughs> you know. But no, <laughs> no. anyway, but we we raced a, uh, um, and he's not he's not even fun to pick on when he's not around. So, uh, right. we raced that. Uh, we actually had a a hybrid, a Lone Star chassis with a three hundred X motor in it, and you know, uh, back then. Uh, you know, while the 300EX and the 400EX engines were not your modern day four-stroke engines, uh, you know, they that they still ran really good for what they were, but they were built above what they were designed for, obviously. But I, but I, 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 I seen then, you know, the four-stroke had something really nice to uh, for for the. Uh, power sports and for, you know, for racing, you know, the way that, especially in the desert or in another place that I, I really noticed uh, where the four strokes shined early on was in Florida in a sandier, sandier terrain where, you know, two stroke, you would tend to get a really keep it on the pipe hard. There wasn't any like lugging around. It was either, you was either in it or it was falling on its face. You know, there was really not any, not much in between, very long, you know, uh, and so the four stroke in a lot of those environments, anything kind of sticky and tacky really was really nice because it just, man, it just had that torque. And as long as you had a, uh, the one thing in the, some of the older four strokes that I wasn't crazy about was if you didn't have the right engine configuration, uh, the power was kind of flat and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, spool up and keep revving and, and have that good strong mid range in it. Like, uh, some of them do now or like a two stroke had, uh, so, you know, but, but still I, I seen something that, you know, I really, I really liked a lot. And, but, you know, when, when I came back to the GNCC and you know, those, it, it just wasn't quite developed yet. Uh, so, you know, I, I was able to play around with some four stroke, uh, and have some experience in the desert prior to switching over in the GNCC. And then in, in 90 and 2000, I think it was when the Yamaha, the Raptor, the 660 Raptor came out, you know, it was a beast. And so I, I got to spend some time with those on those machines and, and I really liked them. And so I guess when the, with the, with the four stroke engines, they came a long ways. And, and I remember switching from the 250Rs to the, uh, to the four stroke and in, in, in year 2003 is when I ran, switched over, started racing for Suzuki and ran the Z 400, which the Yoshimura engine that, that was like a 440 or whatever it was. But anyway, that, 
that was a nice machine. And one of the things that uh, the motors were getting closer to being like high performance engines, but they still wasn't nowhere near what they are today. Once they made them more compact and they're so much faster, quicker revving today than, than what they were then. But, but it was a, it was a, it was a fun transition. And I think part of what, part of the struggle was the engines were really pretty nice but then it was the, the suspension components. Uh, and I know it's like, I'm kind of veering off a little bit of actually the comparison between the two motors, but I always said, if you could take a, a nice four stroke engine, drop it in a roll, roll design chassis, you, you'd be a hard person to, it'd be hard to knock you off the top. And uh, so, but we all know that it, <laughs> the factories, while they do a really nice job nowadays, they came a long ways with the suspension uh, of being able to, you know, having some bolt-on products with linkages and control arms and get some really good suspension. Now, uh, it's made a big difference. And but with the with the four-stroke, you know, the uh, try to get out of the weeds here a little bit with my conversation, but it was definitely a learning curve. I went through a few sets of clutch plates in the beginning because it was a, it was a little bit of a behavioral change. You know, it was almost like a culture change for me. So, uh, you know, because on the two stroke, uh, you know, we, you, you definitely worked the clutch a lot. You know, there was a lot, especially in the, in the GNCC because uh, more so than the desert, you know, that was one of the things we probably didn't touch on last time because out in the desert, you're more ripping, you're in the throttle a lot more and you're only clutching, you know, when you're coming up on in, in the corners and, you know, trying to dodge something or whatever. But in the GNCC, you know, you got a, you got your toe on the toe on the brake, your rear brake, finger on the front brake, you're, you're a quarter throttle and you're slipping the clutch a lot of the time. You know, you're just, you just got all that going on. You really don't even know you're doing it. It just, it's just happening once you, once you get that natural instinct going and you can't do that on a, a four stroke because you're going to be, you're going to be smelling burned oil for the next week because you're going to roast your clutch. And, you know, so you, you got to watch that clutch while you use it. You just can't slip it the same as what you do on a four stroke. I mean, a two stroke. And, um, you know, one of the, one of my favorite machines to race in the woods was that KX250 because, and I don't know why, I don't know if it was because of the, the, the difference in the size of the clutch. The clutch the clutch on that engine was a lot bigger than like the old 250R. And um, I may have touched on it at some point when our interviews there, but, you know, that, that machine, you're running about half to three-quarter throttle, and you just, because of the transmission, being a motorcycle transmission, you had to slip the clutch constantly. But... But that was, but I, and the whole time I raced that Kawasaki, I never burned a clutch out of that thing. So I was very impressed in that. And when it was really neat, the, the different, different, um, style, the way you had to race that thing. But, but so, you know, the, even with the two, the KX250 and the 250R, they were a lot the same, but, but a lot very different. And then when you bring the four stroke into play, there again, it, it, you had to, I had to teach myself, get off the clutch, you know, uh, use it when you're coming down a hill or hitting your brakes or whatever, but, you know, pop it, you know, let it out to get that, that power, you know, get your RPMs up where you want it or, or pick the engine up if it's falling on its face, but get out of it and, and, and let, and work your throttle a little bit more. 
And uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of adjusting adjusting uh, in in, the, in terms of that because, like I said, the the four stroke clutch you would you would burn it out really quick compared to the two stroke because the two stroke you you was in the clutch all the time, and uh, so that that was probably I guess that was probably one of the bigger biggest things I had to adjust to was was the, the, the clutch and letting it, because the thing had so much torque, you just, you just kept, you know, you roll that throttle on and it, it would, it would just pull on out of it. It was there. And you keep your finger on the clutch in case it starts choking down or you need to, you know, maneuver around something or whatever. But that was, I, I to me, that was probably the biggest thing that I had to uh, get over. And, uh, and, and plus the, the four stroke engines were heavier so you had to, you know, you, you kind of had to take that into consideration when you're going through the rough stuff because of the weight of the engine, the weight of the machine. It it wouldn't, you know, and early on the old four strokes wasn't as snappy as they are now. You know, nowadays, you know, these these engines are, you know, they're just they're pretty impressive and they're so hot. You can and they're built lightweight for what they are you know you can they, they get the rpms up get your momentum up to carry over like you know whoops or or other like dips or you know rough places in the track so you know nowadays the four-stroke engines are so much better you can you can they're almost like a a, a, a crossbreed between a four-stroke and a two-stroke you know you got that four-stroke power with two-stroke characteristics and lightweight you know so they have really evolved a lot and the factories have done a, a phenomenal job, you know, building these engines where back in the day, whenever it went from the two strokes to four strokes, the heavy, the engines were heavier, the machines were heavier. Uh, you know, like I said, it was harder to get it, the engine to light up as quick to, to carry over things. So it, I guess, you know, uh, I know I'm doing a lot of talking here. I'm kind of winding back around, but um learning that, like I said, the weight of the machine, the different characteristics and understanding the suspension, the difference in the suspension compared to what I, what I had. I think we talked about that some out in the desert and other you know places where it's just like, this just feels so wrong to be able to do this and get away with it. How, how, what the kind of stuff you get hit in the desert and that thing would just soak it up was just like, am I really doing this? <laughs> 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 but one of the biggest things that I noticed is, and I'm sure you did too, and I would like you to elaborate on it. You rode a 250R with a counterbalancer. You rode a KX250 with no counterbalancer. And that vibration takes a toll on a rider, especially in the long endurance races that you rode. How much of a reprieve was it when you went to the four stroke versus the, the two stroke on the vibration aspect? Um, you know, the four stroke, I have to say, I never really, uh, I never really felt a lot of, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the vibration on the four stroke, everything was really smooth and, and it's actually, it's actually really nice. Uh, you know, like I said, there was, the vibration was, uh, it was, like I said, it, it, it was nice. I know I, it was nice to get away from the vibration of the KX250. I will say that because uh, I don't care how big a man you were, that vibration would run plumb to your bones. And uh, so, but, uh, you know, the two, like I said, I had one year left with the 250Rs and then off to the four strokes. So, uh, 
you know, it was, you know, it was just, it was nice. It was comfortable. I think the weight of the machine and the center of gravity and stuff was, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking rehashing some of the struggles that I had in, you know, racing against people who were still on the old 250Rs uh, in, in the days in the GNCC before they outlawed the aftermarket chassis in the, in the, in the pro class. Uh, but I will say this, um, that four stroke engine was really, really nice. Even like pulling up long hills and doing straight stretches and especially in the mud, because, um, you know, in the mud, you know, you just keep your foot off the back brake and just keep the little bit of momentum going in a real slick and slimy places. And that four stroke would just pull you through this so much nicer than the two stroke, but it was miserable to get out of unstuck when you didn't make it <laughs> <laughs> because the weight was the weight was such a big difference yeah 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 it was all it was yeah it was kind of i remember one time in millfield ohio uh myself and uh balance we were battling back and forth like and we had so many of them times and it was if you ever raced millfield very many times uh john pitton he used to be called the burr oak back in the way a long time ago but it always it was either so dusty there it was pitiful or it was so muddy, it was pitiful. There was hardly ever just a really nice day at that track. But it was one of those uh, muddy days, and myself and Bill, we were racing, and and I chose a line, and the ruts were too deep, and I just couldn't make it. And there I was stuck. There was a tree on both sides of me, and like or my rear axles, and, and like I couldn't get it. I couldn't really get it out. So my only the only thing I could do was I grabbed the Nerf bar, and I spun it and I just flipped it upside down in the mud at an angle and rolled it over two or three times in the mud to, to get it out of the ruts. I had to roll it sideways and, and then jump back on it and get it out because I couldn't lift it up out of it. It was too deep. So I just rolled it up upside down a couple of times and then jumped back on it. So it was just, uh, <laughs> it was nuts. Some of the stupid things we had to do in the, you know, spur of the moment, you know, situations we were in. Uh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Flipping your your quad upside down multiple times to 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 get back in the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was already muddy, so I didn't have to worry. I mean, it was just it wasn't going to get any muddier. So I just rolled it in the mud. So that was the only way out. I grabbed that nerf bar and uh, just rolled her over and let it sink up in the mud and scraped it off and took off again. You know a lot. I, I, I know I wasn't supposed to do this, but I always unhook my kill switch uh, before the race started. I go to tech inspection. Now I can tell people this now because I don't race anymore. Right? <laughs> they, they're not going to go back and penalize me and take take me out of the race. So we used to, you know, they always made it a rule where you had to have a kill switch in the woods. And and I'm like, well, that's stupid. You know, you got to get off and that thing. Worry about trying to plug that thing up. And and we always just had a little little plug. We just did our tech inspection and just unplugged it before the race started. And if I had to jump off, I never worried about plugging it back up. It just went dangling. <laughs> <laughs> and they never checked after the race ever. Exactly. Yeah. It was a, yeah, they never even thought of it though. And, uh, and, and anyway, yeah, I, I mean, cause you can imagine, uh, you know, if you had to take another 15 or 20 seconds trying to fumble around with that thing, it's, you know, 20 seconds is like eternity. Oh yeah, it is. Especially when you're racing in the woods, when every every second counts. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Awesome. So, 
Yeah, there's uh and, and I know there's so many things that that you know reflecting back on uh the two stroke, the four stroke, um uh, you know, gosh, so many things happen and so much uh, uh you know uh, there's so much comes to me uh, like later on. It's like, you know, I never even thought of that, but, uh, but, you know, I'm glad it went to the, to the four stroke. Uh, at first I was, um, you know, I thought, you know, I, I really, I miss my, I miss my Lobo. I miss the 250 R, but, but what I missed more than anything was the chassis and the suspension. And so, you know, but, you know, with anything we do, uh, you know, and I, I one of the, anything you do, you have to work, you got to work. You got to put the time in. It's you, you don't, nothing just gets handed to you and is just everything ready to go. And, and while it was tough, it was tough going through all that, a lot, a lot of long hours, long, you know, days and a lot of, a lot of people put a lot of energy into developing those machines and keeping them going. And, but the things that we learned doing that, it can't be learned any other way. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for the, for the, extra effort that it took to just to make it happen. And because now, uh, you know, even just with everyday life, the things that you learned and that got just ingrained in your mind, in your personality of, you know, it just doesn't matter what's taking place. Well, you know, we have a deadline to meet. I don't, you know, no excuses. It's just, it's just gotta happen. And, uh, you know, that, that, having just the the having to get things done uh i wouldn't trade it for anything now because uh you know we're not afraid not afraid to work you know in life and you know so many things in race and just get applied to everyday life and and there's no other way to learn those things until you just get thrown to the dogs you know so i think it makes a huge difference when you when you go into a group of co-workers that are not motivated like that and you can you can pick an environment and say okay well we need to do this 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 and this and we need to make these things happen immediately and and some more co-workers don't respond and others are like let's do it you know and they take the the leadership role that you just automatically take because you're uh you see what needs to happen and, and you can direct the crowd a little better and faster. I mean, you have to be a little more diplomatic these days than, than we were when we were younger, but you know, and I, I definitely, I definitely do struggle with that at times. So, uh, because it's like, there's, I don't have time to tell a story just to make a statement I, while I, while I do tell a lot of stories to make statements, <laughs> but sometimes you got to add a little bit more color and flavor to it, you know? So, uh, but yeah, you do have to be diplomatic, but you know, uh, and, and I, and I think the same holds true for, uh, you know, a lot of people with, you know, just play, you know, basketball, football, baseball, golf, anything that, you know, you learn that, you know, you get, you get dealt more hands that you don't like than what you do like, but you, it's up to you to dig deep and make something good out, what, out of something that's not so good by just sheer, you having grit. And, and focus so exactly that so that's that, let's let's take this to a different level and, and i can only go off a of hearsay because i heard some of the stories um but i wasn't there um that kx250 that you raced more than one person told me that they don't believe that anyone else could have ridden it like you did 
because it was very difficult to ride at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, it definitely took some getting used to, and we put we put a tremendous amount of time into into that machine. And I was fortunate that was about the time that that I quit working in the in the lumber and the sawmills. You know, with my brother, we used to go grade lumber every day. And and uh, uh, that when I when I got that Kawasaki ride, that's when my dad you know talked to me and he said, you know, hey, why, why don't you you got this factory ride, you know, you can't race forever. Uh, this is only going to last so long, kind of, you know, whatever the conversation was there. But it, in a nutshell, he's like, you know, you're, you're what you've done. You've got the, the the sponsorship money that you've got. Take, take, you've saved me a bunch of money. So we're going to just take that money. You live off of it. You live at home. It's not like you need much money. You know, you're not paying really bill, rent or nothing. So, but, you know, quit work and, and then put it, get up every day and work towards your, your racing career. And so we took all those days and, and, and luckily he worked from home a lot of times and, and we tried different air box, different, you know, exhaust, you know, the header pipes and uh, well, you know, that two stroke, the whole pipe there and you didn't just have a header and a muffler, but anyway, uh, you know, we, we tried different, you know, we, Chris Grissom, he, he did my motors at that time for several years actually. And, he, he did a couple of uh, different heads. We tried a lot of different stuff with the power valves. So what we ended up, you know, we, we did a lot of development work and we tried a lot of stuff on that, on that machine. And we, we got as much out of it. I feel like as you could possibly get out of it. And what we went, we ended up creating was a, a motor with a lot more really good horsepower for mid range. And, uh, but the challenge was it was the motor ran great. And of course we know the chassis worked good because it was that Lobo chassis we were talking about, but that the, the, the transmission was, was probably the biggest challenge. And, you know, you, you had to, there was, there was no lugging around. You was either, you were, you were three quarters throttle or wide open all the time. And that's when I was, we were talking about the clutch earlier, you know, it was just you kept it pinned and you you didn't let off the gas you just pulled the clutch <laughs> you, you just you just kept it pinned and you know instead most time you would pump the throttle but on that thing you wouldn't go any less than half throttle you just fixed your i just fixed my thumb on the on the handlebar and it was either go or blow baby and that's you know we just pull the pull the clutch and just let her let her eat you know and uh and I, but I learned how to do that. And, and it was funny that it, I ended up in certain, in certain types of tracks, uh, in tight woods. I, I still, this day said, there's no other machine that I could put through the woods as fast as that one. And, uh, why that was, I don't know. And it had to have something to do with just, uh, I, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I just, I've always said it, I, I don't know why I could do it. And, uh, I guess because the clutch never blew. <laughs> <laughs> I never touched the brakes and I never let out the gas. Yeah, I will say this, man. That uh, that was the bet. That clutch was always what impressed me most about that whole machine because it, I never ever smoked a clutch, and I've never ever been as hard on a clutch on any machine from my whole life as I was that one. So, but it never went. How did how did it affect your arms? 
because of the vibration. I know that they make anti-vibration steering stems, but you aren't, you, you missed the window on some of the components that we use nowadays to deaden some of that vibration and to make it a little easier on you. But, but what did that machine do to your arms? Uh, you know, it was really weird when you, because vibration, uh, it, vibration is really is a wild thing. Uh, and I still can't explain it, but when you kept that machine in the, in its power and it was under a load and pulling hard, it, it actually didn't vibrate as bad when it was what was for say in its sweet spot. It was, it was just the harmonic. It wasn't as bad now when I, cause I did have, I did have some, uh, practice bikes and i didn't have the like there's pieces that went in the handlebars for anti-vibration that you know those little things that rolled around inside there and stuff like that and now whenever you would i would go down this little highway down to this my practice track where i rode at the time and when i was under under in the, in the throttle but once and i got it all tapped out like to where you know it was it was hurting my hands when i backed out of the off the throttle the vibration was so violent that I would always have to let go of the handlebars and just put my palms on it just to keep steering it in the right direction and then grab the handlebars again. Um, so luckily there was nothing that jerked the bars out of my hands. <laughs> so and not, not a lot to worry about when you're 23, you know, but uh, uh, you don't worry about living or dying. So it was just too stupid at that time. But, uh, but you know, like, but like when you're, when you're on the racetrack, you know, you're, I was always, it was always digging. And when I say digging, it was always in that sweet spot where it was pulling and it, you know, there was times that, yeah, my, my knuckles, they did, uh, you know, hurt, they were sore and stuff, but it, you know, there was a, you know, I was 23. So it was, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you were numb between the ears. Yeah, you know, you're going to be dumb. You got to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, that, that 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 brings me back to what I was told by people that watched you ride it and knew some of the characteristics about it. And I, I got a little bit of feedback from from Doug Roll about, you know, what that motor did to some of the chassis and some of the things that he learned from the vibration. Uh, to try to keep the frames alive longer because yeah. it, it was uh, kind of like a CR 500. It vibrates everything to death. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. It, uh, you know, it was really weird that every race um, I didn't have to hit anything, but on my right, on the, the right hand side where the brake, uh, the back brake is the nerve bar straight out from the foot peg would shear in half every race it would break it in two, but the, le the left one never broke. The right one always broke. And on the, it was on the swing arm used to, it was, uh, I can't remember which side it was. And it was approximately three inches or so from the pivot bolt. It would break, it would crack right down the middle of the weld, but only for about an two inches. And the vibration would only hit certain spots of that machine and break stuff. It would like it would pinpoint, and it was consistent with when it did it. It would go to that same spot 
every time. And so I remember Doug finally, he just put a gusset plate over that little spot on a swing arm. It never broke again. And, but, you know, he's never had another swing arm on any other machine break like that, especially the weld. <laughs> you know, the weld is perfect, but it didn't break the metal. It broke the weld, but it only broke it in a certain spot on a certain side every time. That's crazy. And it's just strange. And no matter yeah. what you did, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, you just knew that, okay, well, here's one of the things that's part of race prep, you know, put it on your list, get this welded every time. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, one of the things that I remember in, uh, what was it, 2001, the second year I raced it, uh, me and Balance, we had a, uh, we had a, a knockdown drag out, you know, fight battle all the whole race. It was, it was fun. It was really fun. And uh, he ended up pulling it off in the end and beat me. We, we was just bar to bar. And then the second round, same thing there. We was just, we were just duking it out. And I remember coming around a corner and I was in the throttle on a corner. And next thing I know, I'm just bouncing off the ground, I hit the ground and I'm rolling across the ground and I'm just like mad at myself. I'm like, you idiot. What have you done? You just fell off this machine, you know, and I jumped up and go jump on the bike and I grabbed for the handlebar. It's not there. It's dangling by the throttle cable that the vibration broke. It broke that handlebar on that side. And, um, and I, so I had to ride it in. I had to put the mash, the, the, the throttle and that part that I grip on my leg and give it gas and steer with one hand and, and clutch it. And to get finished that lap out, sitting there like squeezing the gas tank with my knees and uh, they got to the pits and they switched the handlebars out and put a pair of, had a KX80 on there uh, for display. And that, you know, uh, cause how many people break handlebars in a race, you know what I mean? And uh, so we put them on there and I, finished the race something got a few points or whatever but but what we found out was we got home and on some of my practice bikes even uh they they started cracking they didn't crack across the top it cracked underneath the bottom and it i think it was where like say the clutch wherever a clutch perch or would, would actually bolt onto the bars if you know that metal it would actually that would start the crack and uh, it would break. It would break underneath the bottom, and I saw. I found some. And what we ended up having to do was, I was the only thing I could ride with because I was so used to it. Was the old two hundred X three wheeler bend Renthal bars, and they didn't make them anymore because I was the only redneck that wanted them. You know, so uh, <laughs> uh, so that uh, uh, so we ended up uh, Hugh uh, Hugh Walker, I think his name was. He used to write, work for Kawasaki, good guy, Englishman, I think, and, and he ended up passing away. But he went to Kawasaki or Renthal and talked and got him to make some bars for us. My dad had to buy forty sets, or no, I'm sorry, but I think it was a hundred sets of handlebars, so they would make a. That was their minimum quantity run. And they made, and so every race, we put a brand new set of handlebars on every single race. And uh, I had to keep fresh handlebars on just for the sake of them not ever breaking on me again. Wow. That's incredible. That's <laughs> so, incredible. We, we had um, on Eichner's 450R. Yeah. When we reconditioned it, uh, we reconditioned it every time, but we didn't change the bars 
from, you know, we ran two seasons with the same bars, you know, we had a polished set of tag, you know, fat bars and they made the bike look good and he liked them. And so we just didn't put a new set of bars on there. And at the end of that second season, we were tearing the bike down to recondition it and they were cracked on the bottom, (laughs) right next to the, right next to where the handlebar clamp was, it had a crack and we were like, Oh, so we started checking bars and found multiple handlebars on multiple machines that had these little hairline cracks. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. You're thinking about, you know, I was thinking about that day in Georgia when, you know, I can remember this one section in particular that, you know, it's one of those times where, you know, we were just way above where, you know, you're just, you're outside of what you should even be thinking about doing with speed. And, you're just go, you're just, I mean, just let it all hang out. It's soaking it up, but you're thinking, man, if anything goes wrong here, this stuff, it, this I'm done, you know, but, <laughs> but you don't let out of it. And I got, to, and I'm thinking, gosh, if those things would have broke, you know, five minutes earlier, who knows what would have happened, you know, and, uh, but it didn't. So <laughs> we don't, as racers, it's like you, you don't think about what if you just go on with it and focus on what's next. So <laughs> right, that's true. That's so it, so we just so we bought a bunch of handlebars and it was all good. But but yeah, that talk about the vibration of that. You know, getting back to the vibration was it was pretty. Uh, it was very very wild and uh, uh, and I really we, I was really bummed out when Kawasaki didn't. Uh, I don't really know what they're plans were with that i feel like it would only make sense to think that they were contemplating at one point in time bringing that engine back coming out with you know something to combat and combat against against the 250r to fall into that class to make to make that next greatest machine that that set that legacy kind of like the 250r did you know um but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I know things change. And with two strokes at that time, they're going, you know, two strokes are going to be non-existent at some point in life or whatever, which I don't think ever really happened. But but I think I always said if they would have put a little bit different transmission and uh, counterbalancer in, in that machine, in that engine and matched it with a chassis that it would have been a awesome awesome machine because it was a great motor uh that that motor and that the power the delivery of that and uh you know just the way that the uh, like those power valves there was a lot of moving parts and stuff in it but you know we had to be had to maintenance it fairly often you know with the two-stroke oil which is mixing in the gas you know it kind of you know it always left a little residue so a lot of maintenance but that engine put off some pretty nice power it just needed a transmission for an atv to pack the extra weight and the extra weight in the wheels and tires and and you know stuff like that so and then then it would have that would have made it really really shine so but then again you think about that and Without the counterbalancer, it could have been one of the reasons why that engine ripped the way that it did because it wasn't spinning that much more weight, you know, uh, with, you know, it, it revved quicker. It, you know, it, it, you know, it ripped maybe because it had less drag and didn't have the counterbalancer and stuff in it. So that that's a theory. That's a definite theory. You know, I don't, uh, I, I don't uh, have the answer to that. 
Um, but most of the time, those Kawasaki two strokes made great power, you know, characteristically, when you look at the, the motorcycle deal where the Honda Yamaha uh, and Suzuki all went against the Kawasaki, like those Kawasaki's always made power. They just never seem to be super reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I never really knew a lot about the dirt bike world, but, um, I know that, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, uh, it was interesting. The, the, it was a neat learning experience with that, with the KX250 engine. And then kind of going back to the 250R, it was kind of that, you know, well, well, it actually with the Duncan race and with the cylinder and the, like the power valve engine that you guys made, you know, or, you know, at, at Duncan racing was, uh, it, it, it really uh, set took the 250R engines to a whole new level uh, because you know when we when I switched back to those, uh, you know really that that power valve engine made really good power and and it brought it up to where the 250R never would could go without those the aftermarket cylinder head combination. So it was uh, it was that was a that was a really nice thing. I was glad that that when I switched back that, that you had those parts because, you know, it, uh, it gave, it gave it that extra torque that that motor needed. And with the, uh, with the interchangeable, you know, heads, different components, uh, it was, it made it, you could, you could build your configuration. And, uh, so it was a very well thought out, thought out piece. So, uh, that, uh you, yeah, probably, yeah. you probably, you probably showed Lauren how to do that. Didn't you? No. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, that that but no uh i uh i love the fact the way that um the thought was put into doing it and you know the the he went through quite a bit of r&d before what was handed to you or put on your machines actually got to people because i i remember destroying things uh, testing stuff that uh, wasn't supposed to break or had a idea, you know, but that's a whole nother conversation. I got another yeah. angle oh, here. Yeah. I got another angle here. So we've talked about engines. We've talked about vibration. You've also spent time with probably one of the smartest shock guys in our industry, bar none. I mean, it's arguably, he is the, the smartest guy and the transition from the two stroke to the four stroke in the shock design. What was that like? Uh, you know, with the, well, there again, you know, with the four stroke, you know, we didn't just have the weight and the power characteristics of the motor to deal with. Uh, it, it, we had a chassis, you know, it was, I was handed a different chassis design. And so, uh, that, that all really, um, uh, that, that really, there's a lot of variables, you know, and one of the things that I was taught early on is, you know, when you're talking about comparison and especially doing testing and you know, this as well as anybody, but compare apples to apples. Don't, don't make, don't make a shock change and three other changes too, and then judge the shock for, because, you know, uh, so, but, but you know, that a lot of what I've learned is, um, with, you know, it's the different weight and the power. And at that point in time, 
I didn't know what I know now, which is a lot story of all our lives. Right. And, you know, it was the experience that taught it, taught me everything. And, but, you know, when it comes to the suspension, understanding, you get into understanding what calls for spring, what calls for valving, what calls for uh, crossover with preload or, or going up a spring rate, down a spring rate, uh, you know, what calls for, uh, you know, do you need to shorten the shaft? Do you need a shorter body? What, you know, there was, there's so many pieces of that, that, uh, that was learned by mistakes and, and not knowing, and sometimes being talked out of, of what you thought instead of following your gut. And, uh, uh, one of the best things I ever learned to do was shocks on my own. And it, it allowed me, it allowed me to do, uh, continuously by myself or, or at home, what I could do, you know, when, when we flew people in, you know, uh, because in, and just not that it, you know, it was always good to have people come in, but you never knew what mother nature was going to hand you when, you know, you, you're going to book this thing three months in advance and when everybody comes and then there's like a record amount of rainfall within 48 hours, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> you, you might as well plan a little fishing trip because you're going to get more done than you are out on the, out on the, in your practice track. And, and, uh, and it just takes too long. It takes, it takes an entire year to get something decent that you could have done in two weeks of your own self. And, uh, but you know, I made a lot of mistakes doing it all on my own, but that was how I learned, you know? So that was what I learned. That was how I learned what worked and what didn't work was just those, all those hours and, and trying stuff. And, uh, and that's when I really started understanding, uh, weight bias, uh, you know, what, you know, when, when you go from one machine to the other, they each have their own chassis and, you know, design and the motion ratio, leverage ratios of the front end, the rear end, the length, the swing arm length. And even, even just a, uh, something as simple as rolling your carry your bearing carrier in the rear all the way over to the back and, or all the way to the front, you know, that's a half inch difference in wheelbase. You know, if you, you know, if you're, if you can't keep the front end down and, you know, it's always pulling front wheels are pulling, you could roll that axle all the way to the back and transfer more weight to the front. And it would make the front end a whole lot more heavier, right. you know, just by simply doing that, cutting your chain different and, you know, uh, but, or vice versa, you know, so, you know, there were just so many things like that, it, but, you know, I didn't know all that then, but every, I was, but I learned all that, you know, with other, with, uh, you know, with all the help of everyone. And, and then with, after that, what I learned to do on my own. And, uh, so it was, I wish I'd have started the suspension side earlier in life because that's probably one of the most, that, that would be, if I, if you had to ask me, say, what, what would you like the most about, the overall like power sports or off-road racing and, and everything you did. And what, what, what was your favorite part? I would have to say suspension development is, is what, what would be my passion. And that's the, the most understanding that I have. I understand that part probably better than any other part of it that I could say that I could dive into when it comes to engines and stuff. I know what kind of power characteristic that I want 
but I'd have to rely on an engine builder to help me come up with that configuration. Right. And uh, so, cause I'm not an engine builder. I know what I like, but I, I'm not an engine builder, you know? So, uh, but uh, I, I saw, I know I'm getting way off in the weeds again on you there, but, you know, talking about the suspension, the, the all the stuff that a, a four stroke engine called for, you know, you have a, you know, a lot more in which people nowadays, you know, you, you, they, they, they get on what they get on. It's already there, you know, but so they're not transitioning from one to the other, <clears throat> but you know, with the power, with the torque that a, that a four stroke motor's got, you know, you know, you're putting a lot more weight transfer to the rear because that thing's hooking up and, and, and going. So, you know, there, there again, you got your, your spring has to be able to support that. And, uh, but gosh, you, you, you could, you could, I could, we could pick that apart a thousand different ways and say, well, this depends on this and this depends on that. But most people would have a headache by the time we got that conversation finished and we really wouldn't, wouldn't accomplish anything. <laughs> right. When you were testing, when you were doing suspension, were you doing external changes or did you actually get into valving? Both uh, started out external, and then uh, uh, Bill Balance actually helped me learn how to uh, teach. He taught me how to take my shocks apart, and uh, and he kind of watched me a little bit. And then I, I I had gathered up the tools and started doing it myself, and, uh, and then understood. Uh, and then that's kind of when I got the understanding working with uh, you know the guys over the years and understanding. Uh, you know, what it meant to, you know, with body links, shaft links and, you know, and, and uh, where, you know, changing, not necessarily changing the amount of wheel travel, but where, where you started it and stopped it in its travel to keep that same amount of travel. We don't buy, you maybe, like I said, maybe, maybe we changed, you know, took a quarter inch off the body, but left the shaft travel the same. So you still had the same amount of wheel travel you just moved it up into its travel, you know, which obviously on some, some, some machines you could do that. Some did, depending on who, who built your shocks to begin with was they uh, pretty extreme go to the edge and where that frame would scuff the ground or was they conservative and leave the shot body a little longer where the frame wouldn't go anywhere near the ground because you had to find that fine line of, get that shock to get the machine to squat down as far as you can without smacking something and, you know, causing you to wreck because it's getting too close or hitting the ground because there that I have done that before. And when you jump out on a motocross track and your shot body is not long enough, it don't take you long to realize it's time to go back to the shop and change it. <laughs> Did you spend any time with Doug roll in doing shocks? Uh, yeah, we, we spent, I mean, I spent a lot of time with Doug Rowe doing shocks, uh, we, but mainly doing external changes back then, uh, you know, and, you know, we, every now and then, you know, my Calic would be around and then, you know, when went, went over to the Elka suspension, uh, you know, those guys would, uh, some of those guys would be around making valving changes, but, but Doug and I, we did, we did, we did work pretty, pretty fair share on, uh, on some shocks and, uh, you know, when, with the Lobo, with the Lobo chassis, we, we spent some time, but he spent more time kind of teaching me. Uh, back then, I, uh, 
we I got it I got it working and I, I tweaked it a little above you know frontwards and backwards and I, I got that part where I liked and I never touched it again I just kept it the same and I it could have been it could have been better but you know I, di- I didn't mess with it but I didn't understand as much as nowhere near then what I know now you know so you always think gosh if I would have known half of what I know now then what could that thing have been right so that, that that's so true with with so many different things that we've done in in our careers with with from building bikes to setting up chassis design you know or setting up for a specific environment you know um uh, what i liked about some portions of of the stories i got to hear because i actually never got to really work directly with you mm-hmm. we were on the same team and we did some stuff together but it was never i was never building machines directly for you and um your tenacity and your toughness was like eichner when the green flag dropped it didn't matter what it was i'm racing it you know it just yeah. it, it's got it is what it is let's just go <laughs> well and you know there was a lot of times that uh and you know there there was some days that everything was just right and those were awesome i mean but it seemed like when everything was just right, that's when an axle would break or something stupid that, you know, you, you're like, oh, man, if everything just felt so good and you knew nobody could touch you that day and you got took out over something that nobody did, you know, or, yeah, you know, and the thing was brand new or something, you know what I mean? And But on so, so many days that, you know, the bike was handling okay, but you just wasn't really feeling it or, you know, for whatever reason – but one of the things that, that – and that's why I, why I always like long-distance racing or at least two hours or 500 miles or whatever it was because you had enough time to just figure out what it was doing and just learn to ride it for what it was. But just stay focused. And, you know, if, if you couldn't go through the whoops as fast without, you know, virtually almost dying, then back off some and focus on – do as much, get as much out of everything as you possibly can. And don't just understand what you got that day and write it for what it is, not for what you wish it would be. And, uh, you know, and that, that's a lot of what off-road racing, and I'm sure that correlates over into motocross racing too. You know, and I just never did as much motocross as I did everything else. And, um, but, but, you know, that, and it's focusing on the finish line, that is, that was a big part of it. It's just, just, just bear down and do it. So true. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you spent any time at all or do you know Walker Fowler? Uh, yeah, I know Walker. Uh, you know, I've been around him, uh, you know, quite a bit, uh, as he was growing up, you know, watched him, watched him get older and older and he just knew like, well, there's going to come a day where he's going to beat us all. I mean, that's just inevitable. He's going to stay with it and he's going to get, get faster than us because we're all getting gray hair and, and bellies on us. So this kid's going to mop us up one day, you know? So, but, uh, but yeah, we, I, I can't say that we spent like a, a ton of time together and around each other, like uh, practicing or whatever, but I have been around him, you know, enough. And, and uh, he's a good kid comes from a good family. And uh, uh, it, he, he's a natural, you know, he's an, he has a lot of natural ability. And I guess, uh, you know, I, I think he, I think he was riding a four-wheeler when he had a diaper on. I mean, it, they, it, he's been racing forever, you know? So, 
but uh but you know and it just become like you know when you know i was talking about earlier when you're racing in the woods you're sort of uh you know you're dragging the clutch and brake and throttle and everything a little bit and um you know like things you you that that happens without even thinking and just like uh you know what he's able to do you know so much of what he does is he probably don't even he don't even physically think about it his nervous system and body it, it just it's doing it for him you know because it's so in, ingrained in him and, and who he is and what he's lived his whole life so and a lot of the other people out there on the track too you know has uh but uh but yeah walker i do know him uh you know pretty decent so hadn't been running a few years now so so do you think he's gonna do you think he can do it do you think he can do nine ten I mean, he is it now. I don't even know. Seven. Seven. I'm sure he can. I think. I. I, I think he can. And unless there, there's something that I'm not seeing, but you know, if he stays healthy and uh, everything's good, and uh, I don't really see any way, any reason why you know why he can. I don't know how old he how old he is right now. He's twenty. Uh, he's probably twenty eight. I was guessing. I was going to say he's pushing pushing thirty. I guess, but. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's got. I think he's got a few more years left in him. You know, with, with the way he's pretty, very seem to be very disciplined and training, and uh, you know, staying, you know, you know, eating, and you know, he's, he works at it. So if he's set on it, and, you know, but you know, there's always a lot of competition. There's always there's always going to be that other thorn in the side. Those other guys like him that's growing up, you know, and coming up into it. And, uh, but but yeah, I think the potential of doing it, I think, is there. You know, whether it happens or not, you know, we'll see the day it unfolds. Well, the number two this year is Hunter Hart. Yeah. And that kid. <laughs> wow. I, I have you if you've gotten to speak with him, you understand exactly what I'm saying. He he is so energetic, so he's having so much fun. Um, that's the guy I would worry about. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I was thinking him and, uh, you know, there's another, there's another example of basically, uh, racing forwarders while you're still in a diaper, you know, that kid, he's been, I remember when he was around and racing the, the, you, the, you know, the mini quads for a long time ago. And there's, I say a long time, it's been a few years now. And I mean, he was always, you know, light and fast, you know, back in the day. And, you know, and that's just, those are that's that's who's coming next, you know. And uh, he stuck with it, and and uh, so and he's there now. And there's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. And you know, um, there's one thing that uh, I think there's one thing that seems like a lot of people went through that is whenever and and I, I and I really haven't been able to follow all the races as close as I would like to. Uh, but you know, it seems like whenever some person gets they're they're finally right there and then the season starts and the hype's all there the hype's around them and everybody's like oh you're gonna do it this year you're gonna do it and and like all this hype and all the pressure gets in 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 their head it did me it did every it has everybody you know and it it just you almost have to screw it up you have a good opportunity right in front of you but you try so hard it's almost like you, you screw it up and then realize, ah, man, I screwed it up. Then you come back the next year more in a relaxed mindset, and that's when you become a lot more dangerous and when and 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 winning championships as when you're 
when you're mentally when you're mentally there. And because you know it's uh it's because the mental game when when you line up three or four people that are equally as fast it's 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 a mental game at that point. I think that most of the reason that Walker's dominant is because of the mental game, kind of like the way Denton was. It was the mental game, you know. Uh, Barry Hawk, he was more mentally prepared than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Balance has always had. He was really. He always had a. He was pretty stable with it mentally, and of course, he was just. He was tough. He went. He endured a lot. You know, he rode with broken ribs and legs and and everything. You know, and uh, so uh, it's it that mental that mental game. But yeah, that the the there's always been battles, and um, nobody's ever going to stay on top forever, and everybody's going to be dethroned at some point. And, uh, you know, now that the story is just around these guys now, you know, it's later, it's going to be somebody else. Why do you think it is in the GNCC or the cross country world that there's so many consecutive repeats? You know, I mean, why do the champions, because you go back to Barry with seven and balance with nine. And I don't even remember how many Chris got, um, but you know, Borich had his time and, and now it's Walker's time. And why do you think they're they're They have such long reigns as champions. I don't know. I guess uh, they just seem to be, uh, I don't know why that keeps happening over and over, but you know, whoever, whoever it is each time, just definitely have, are on their game and just got it all together. And, uh, uh, so I, and I don't know, that's a good question. And, you know, uh, I, it's one that I can't answer because <laughs> I fell victim to it. If I had the answer, I would have probably tried to it have fixed it then. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I think I, I could look at myself. I, uh, there was, a, there was a lot of, there was times when I learned I tried too hard instead of relaxing and, uh, just, mentally it was the mental game it was it was the mental part and messed up and and uh so because it's it's a long year you know and you you have so much happening so many race after race after race and and uh it's it's a lot to handle and how you handle it and either make or break yourself i agree i agree William, as always, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you on ATV Talk. And again, I'm going to extend that invitation because you know I'm going to have you back. Um, the, the conversation's always outstanding. All right. Thanks, Lenny. It's always a pleasure. All right, brother. I'll be in touch. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.